Morning. How's everybody doing? That was most definitely mine, I think. Is that how you, Rowan? Hi, Rowan. Hi. Love you. This, this feels like we planned this. <laughs> All right, you sit down, Rowan. Here's what you're going to do. <laughs> Everyone's going to think it's great. I'm not even going to have to preach. I'm going to say anything nice. I'm going to be like, oh, what a great family. Just like, ah. Uh. It's good to be with you. My name is Andrew. Uh, I am a pastor here at Sanctuary Church. And um, we were a little concerned that we may have missed an announcement, so I wanted to just throw it up real quick. The, uh, the text number, did we guys get the text number? Can we throw that up there real quick? This, if you just want to know any, any of that information that just came at you, if you want the list of all the announcements, list of everything that's happening, sign up for anything, all of that is right there. I know it feels a little impersonal, but it's just a great way for us to initially connect um, the way we see church is people gathered around the table and eating together, taking care of one another's needs, an inclusive, welcoming place for people to explore the way of Jesus, explore what truth looks like, explore who God might be, explore what it means to demonstrate and announce this, this kingdom of God that Jesus talks about in the world, this thing that has influenced just so many throughout the ages, this thing that when uh, this way that when it has been actually followed, has, uh, has moved mountains, has transformed, has set people free. I actually want to talk a little bit about that. And I also want to talk for a moment uh, about um, how easy it is for, uh, for people to, um, for people to like actually engage and be open just in general. So I, I had this conversation, uh, and it was a very, like, impromptu moment where I'm hanging out with a good friend of mine, and uh, I go, we're taking care of, like, logistics with church stuff. It's been an absolutely incredible uh, week, but an incredibly, like, stressful week. There's, like, so much to do, and all these services happening all over the city, and things happening, and meeting with people, and teens, and all this. So I go, it's, like, late. I go to kind of arrange uh, just some final details with a buddy of mine who lives up the street. And he was there, and he lives with a bunch of people. And one of the people that were in his house, uh, this, this girl that was there, we just got to talking really quick. And then, uh, you know, my friend and I, we were feeling exhausted, and she was kind of winding down her night. We're like, hey, you know what? Let's, like, go down to the pub, get a bite to eat, get a coffee, get a whatever, like, and, like, let's have a drink. And let's just, like, take a deep breath and, like, just have a little, have a little nightcap of sorts. So I was like, that sounds great. It's really impromptu, take 30 minutes. And so we start walking. And this is one of those friends I noticed immediately that um, hopefully you have. This is a friend that is completely unfiltered. Anyone have a friend like that? And it's like a joy, not like a, like a, like a bad thing most of the time. You're like, well, you're, just, you're just saying it. You don't, you don't know me at all. And so we're just, we're going in, we're talking, we're laughing, we're hugging, we're joking. It's, it's, it's really fun. She's telling me about her background, what she does. Now, she knows my buddy's engaged with, with church a bit. So the conversation takes a little spiritual turn, which is interesting. And so now we're having a conversation about faith and religion, and I throw a couple things back. The, the threshold that had not been crossed yet was what I do. Now, I don't know what you do and what your profession is like. And if you ever have this moment, I can imagine there may be some professions out there that when you, you know, it's like you're, you're I'm not going to give an example. It's going to backfire. But there's probably <laughs> some conversation that you can imagine that if somebody found out that, oh, I'm actually like uniquely and deeply invested in that thing that you are launching into, it kind of changes the tone, right? Because the person, if they're halfway decent human being, they get a little bit sensitive. So... Words like, um, you have to have so much hubris to have faith. Cool. Uh, conversation went down uh, at one point in the night around colonialism and the awful things that have been done in the name of Jesus that don't line up at all with the actual way of Jesus, but have been done in the name of Jesus and need to be owned. And, and just thing after thing of like, how could you? And then the person just, I'm a staunch atheist. I'm like, oh, you mean an agnostic? Like, 
no, no, I'm an atheist. I'm like, that takes so much more faith than to be a Christian, to be an atheist. So we start having that conversation. And so it, it comes around. At some point in the night, it comes around to, yeah, yeah so, so what do you do? And at this moment, it, it's like I'm, I'm like just a, I'm a unicorn. <laughs> and this happens actually fairly often. I really try to, um, to, 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 to dodge that question initially when I'm meeting somebody because people get so weird. And it's not like a good unicorn. Like maybe if you're like here and you're six and you're like a unicorn, you're like, <laughs> right, this is not that situation that's happening. This is like, oh gosh, what is that with the horn and the thing and you're pink and you're not supposed to be, I should be quiet. I don't know what to do or how to interact with you. Oh, it's just everything changes immediately. So it's like there's like, um, you know, F-bombs at a rate of like, I don't know, four per minute. And all of a sudden, you're a, what? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my, I'm sorry. You, pray, you hate me. And so it's still an, it's still an unfiltered personality. So now it's like, I'm so sorry. You must think I'm the worst. I'm like a heathen. Like, so anyway, this whole conversation is, is um, circling now around you know, faith. And now we're sort of going deep into it. And I, I've tried to, like, it's okay. It's, 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 I'm, I'm here with you laughing about all this stuff before. I didn't suddenly change as a person just because I told you what I did. Stop being weird with me. <laughs> and so we start to resume normalcy, and it comes back to, yeah, but really? Yeah, but really? I, at one point in the conversation, I, I mentioned, because we're talking about Easter, and I mentioned, I could tell this person was very progressive politically. And so I, uh, I mentioned you know, have you ever seen that video of Barack Obama addressing a group of Christians and talking about the literal resurrection? Like unabashedly, like point blank, you know, however you think about politics or whatever, he, he claims to believe in the resurrection. And so he's sitting there telling this video, and she looks at me like I just told her the fattest lie in the world. Like, shut up. And I'm like, no, you can't even find that. You know, and at this point, we've been hanging out for a little while. And so I go and I find the video and I show it. My, my point in all of that, especially around the resurrection thing, is this needs to, like, this is an extraordinary claim. To be clear, those of you who walked through the door and thought, what am I doing here? If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're sort of new to all this or maybe culturally Christian, that's like the right response. There's a whole lot of people in the world who for a number of reasons believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not just the crazy people. That's what's so tough about it. If it were just like the cult leader, any cult leaders in the room? No, okay, it's not, I'm sure there's a couple who are like borderline, but like... <laughs> It's not just them. It's like, you know, go down the list. Like it's the Mandela and Dr. King and apparently Obama and Lewis and Tolkien and Teresa and Augustine. I, I could just keep going. I mean, it's, there's something. These people believe this. And so I want to talk a little bit about what it really means to be, to be open. Because the conversation I had with this friend, this is where the thing ultimately landed was what would it mean to actually be, be open. And for followers of Jesus to be open to everything we sang about in that opening song, to be open that like there's a, there's a power that, that, that could raise whatever I'm going through in some way from the dead. What would it mean for me to be open that, that life is, is, is more than what I've made it? If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me? This is our text. We've heard the Easter story a couple different ways. We've sung the Easter story. So I actually wanted to have a kind of our central text be this in Romans 8. And so if you're new to the scriptures, this is simply a passage written by somebody who was in the very early stages of the Jesus movement. So he's gathering people, the round tables. They are serving the poor, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. They're eating together. They're learning about the way of Jesus. They're demonstrating and announcing the good news that Jesus has come and that he's king and that he's making all things new. If you don't get anything else, that's like the Christian story. Jesus is, 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 has been inaugurated. He is somehow alive in the world and king over everything and is making all things new. And that we get to join him in that work. 
and that ultimately a thing that he will culminate at the end. And he showed us this through his resurrection. So Romans 8 verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by this same spirit living within you. We're just going to keep dropping in on this idea that in some way, as a follower of Jesus, we're to believe and trust that whatever happened there, if it happened there 2,000 years ago, we know Jesus existed historically. We know it's incredibly likely he went to the cross historically from all that we know. This leap to resurrection, can we do that? Can we get there? And if we are to get there, well then... Is the same power thing at work that raised him from the dead. Somehow we can be in union with that, dialed in with that. What sort of insane mystery is that? If you are here and you don't think already that I'm a bit crazy, you're not listening. We are open to some interesting ideas about what's at the center of the world. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're around a bunch of people who think the same. An extraordinary claim. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So why is the resurrection important? So what I want to do, and I would love to get all professorial on you right now, truly. I would love, I thought about this, like getting up and giving the most like untriumphant Easter sermon ever. Just get up, kind of stand at the podium, read some notes, and just go through, like hear the major claims historically, existentially. So I'm going to hit a couple of those because I think they're interesting. But what I want to do is use that to sort of set up something at the end here about what it means to be open. So, so one of those things, uh, like, like why is the resurrection even important? Why would we talk about it? Is um, to, to quote the, uh, the great uh, film Fight Club, on a long enough timeline, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate of everyone drops to what? Zero. It's Easter Sunday. Welcome to church. You're going to die. We feel, we feel if we're paying attention at all, the ache. I have friends who are watching their parents right now begin that, that, that sadly too quick descent toward death. They've lived a long life, an incredible life. And even people who we know who have died, you know, at, at, at a better time than someone else, right? We don't grieve kind of the same way when a, when a child dies than when a, a 90-year-old person dies. But still, even when the older person dies, it always feels too soon. One writer says, is death the end or is something more? This is the ultimate question. It has been the defining issue for entire cultures from the ancient Egyptians to the present. And in truth, there is no more important question than any of us will ever face. It is the issue that makes every other issue trivial. If you have doubts about its significance, go to a hospital or a funeral or talk to a parent who has recently lost a child, you will discover very quickly that the apparent normalcy of everyday life is a sham. Death is the great wrecking ball that destroys everything. Everything we've done, everything we're doing now, and all of our plans for the future are completely and irrevocably destroyed when we die. At bottom, we already know this. Only teenagers live in that state of temporary insanity when they believe themselves immune to death. <laughs> we're fools if we don't give death a little bit of consideration. Fools. This is what um, uh, many psychologists describe as basically the core ache underneath everyone. Called, I've talked about this before, human generative death anxiety. It's basically this understanding that every psychological, like every psychosis, every bit of anxiety, if you really were to somehow trace it back, there's this low-grade thing in all of humanity that we're scared of death. We can't really talk about it. We can't really go there. Even when we kind of try to make it nostalgic or sort of bring some sort of winsomeness to it, at the end of the day, this is what's driving our pain, generative death anxiety. And so um, as Christians, at least, we look at the resurrection and we ask the question, okay, why is it important? Well, it... it, it what it does is it says, actually, there's more than this. Actually, that ache that you have, 
that desire you have for sort of another world and the world put back together and to live eternally. Every single culture has tried to figure out in some way how to live forever. I mean, even down to what's the, ah, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but like tech giant came out with a, a book recently. It, it, the, the news came out that what he's doing right now is that a doctor recommended that he could take a blood transfusions from younger men and that that might help actually extend his life. Don't judge him. If you had the money, you'd try it. Like this is, and we're closer than ever. I mean, the American, the, the survival rate of the average American is, has almost doubled in the last hundred years. We want to live forever. There's this desire. C.S. Lewis, right, talks about we shouldn't have an ache and a desire for another world or to live forever if that wasn't our native land. Just evolutionarily, it, it actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. People wrestle with this question. Why do we even have the impulse to do that? Resurrection says something about our worldview. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's central to our worldview. Paul says that preaching is useless if you don't, if it, 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 this whole thing of gathering together as followers of Jesus, it's all nonsense if Christ has not been raised. He says your faith is useless. You're still in your sin. The dead are lost. You just have sort of a sentimental idea about heaven and it's a delusion. All these people are basically to be pitied. It's just another good dead man that a few people are walking around feeling really gullible that there's something sort of magical and mystical and we're not just treating him like we would treat George Washington. Something worthy of consideration. So why believe in the resurrection? This is the place where I would love to just kind of dial through every convincing proof I've ever heard. And if you like information in her books, maybe I'll put something up online about this. But there's been all sorts of modern objections for sure. Like Jesus, uh, he, he, um, he really didn't die. He kind of fell asleep. Uh, and, and there's this swoon theory. He went into like a coma and he somehow rose from the dead again. Or he, he, they think he rose from the dead, but really he just kind of woke back up. That was really before historically we knew how good the Romans were at killing people on a cross. Truly, and it's just before we actually knew how brutal that was and how humanity arguably still hasn't cooked up a, like a more brutal way to do that. Uh, there's, there's no way that's, that's really possible. There, there's, there's all sorts of interesting ideas around um, his body was stolen, apparently, by these really timid disciples, and somehow they overtook Roman guards and moved the giant stone, and that happened. Uh, hallucinations, that's a big one. Like people hallucinated and they, had, they wanted so badly to see Jesus. And so it was sort of a spiritual resurrection. And so when the writers talk about that, except they talk about like him appearing to people and, and, and doing like really physical things over and over. And when, when people hallucinate, they don't hallucinate in groups. They hallucinate as individuals, but you have groups bearing witness to it. And it doesn't kind of make sense. And, and, and when you hallucinate, um, it usually keeps going, but all of these hallucinations apparently just sort of stopped and, and all sorts of different people hallucinated. So there's trouble with that. I, I'm not meant, meaning for any of this to be wildly convincing to the super skeptic in the room right now. I'm just saying people have come up with ideas of how do we make sense of this because we believe in the resurrection in part, first and foremost, because there's an empty tomb. When Jesus died, right, the historical figure, there were 50 shrines in that exact area where he had died. In other words, it was normal to take a big leader, a revolutionary and, and build a shrine. There was no shrine ever made to Jesus. It wasn't until like government and the twist of Rome got involved that we even started building like big buildings. Like there was no shrine. It was just, it was literally more, I make this joke all the time. I feel like the church was much more like fight club in the early stages. Like truly. I gotta stop quoting that movie. No one's even seen it at this point. <laughs> or then people go watch it and there's like some lewd scenes in there and they're like, pastor told me. In other words, it was, like a, it, was a, it, was an, it was a truly a movement, an underground movement of people. They would draw like fishes in the sand. They would throw up the sign of the cross as sort of saying, hey, I see you. Hey, hey, this underground movement. There was no shrine. There was no thing built to this dead historical figure. We have to deal with the empty tomb. To deal, where did his body actually go? And if it was a myth that was created... You don't ever start a myth. When you study how myths start and how these stories start, they never, ever universally start at ground zero. This myth started in the very place in the city they said he rose from the dead. That doesn't, get, that doesn't work because people are there and they saw what happened. You're not able to lie to a bunch of people who just saw it, but it took off immediately. 
first 50 years, things are changing all over and people are, are attesting to seeing and bearing witness to the resurrected Jesus. And then, of course, there's the underwhelming proofs that Jesus gives, right? The accounts of Jesus rising from the dead in the Bible are embarrassing. If you're like a good writer, if this Bible here is like a, a, just a, a wonderful book trying to like convince people of something that is, is just not true with some decent morals like kind of built in, if this is meant to just be propaganda, it's just bad propaganda. Like J.R. Tolkien or, or, or who wrote Harry Potter? J.K. Rowling's. A lot of people are like, how dare you not know the answer to that? Like, like, they clearly didn't write this because it's a bad story in terms of like heroicism. Like, there is no big heroic moment. Jesus rises from the dead and he's like, anybody have some salmon? Like he eats fish with people and he hangs out and then he takes like the 40 days before his ascension and he, he just, he goes after all of his friends who are doubting and who are skeptics and who are sad and who have lost hope. We'll return to that in a minute. They're just not great stories. There's a humbling authenticity. You had women finding Jesus at the tomb. Now, if that happened today, we would all go, that's right. Right? That's a good thing. I don't know why we would do that, but it just felt right. <laughs> but we would cheer that, right? But in this day and age, women are, are not reliable sources in court. They can't bear witness to, to the truth. They, they're low on the social ladder. If you're trying to write a good, compelling story that is not true and convince a bunch of people that it is, you definitely don't have women being the first people who see them. And you definitely don't have the kind of women that, that we see in the scripture, like Mary Magdalene, who is at the lowest of social orders. You don't do it unless you're just writing down what happened. This is not, it's not good propaganda. You look at the impact Jesus had on history. I don't have time to get into all of this, but endless books, the impact on art, science, philanthropy, ethics, children's rights, human rights. And before you, you, you go too skeptic on me, I mean, books about this are written not by Christians. There are books written by Christians about this stuff. But I mean, th this is written, this is just people trying to be honest about why we think the way we do. Why do we desire healthcare the way that we do? Why do we want to, why do we think about utopia in the West the way that we do? Why, are, why do we desire uh, ideas like loving your enemies? Why are they sort of appealing to us? I can't find one scholar that doesn't trace it all back to Jesus and his tradition of the Jews. And the thing about Jesus is, with all of this, is he won't die like other historical figures. He just doesn't die. Like, we can't kind of get rid of him. Case in point, what are 500 people doing in the Columbus Theater today? Like, you are all relatively enlightened, sort of young, some of you. Like, people who have all sorts of great brunch spots down the street. We can't seem to shake him. All this brings me to my favorite bit, and it brings us to the passage for today, which is that when I'm talking to this, um, my, my, my friend's roommate, what I found myself getting into is we started talking about the resurrection and, yeah, there's no way Obama believes that. And look, like, <laughs> I don't know why that was like the moment. It was like, oh, wow, Obama, it like, must be true. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> but goodness, what was so what I found myself being swept up in was not trying to like, let's have an intellectual debate. No, what I found for me, what I started to dial into was like, can I tell you the story of this friend? Can I tell you the story of what happened to them? Could I tell you the story of how Jesus just keeps seeming to be showing up and how he keeps transforming people? This for me is when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. This is what comes up for me. For people who come to believe in Jesus, something begins to change. These disciples, these first followers of Jesus, before the resurrection, before this day, they are full of fear, so timid, they flee 
when Jesus dies on the cross, they are scared. And at the end of their life, they are confronting the very people who crucified him. Ten of them die as martyrs. And you don't die for a myth. No one maintains a myth and lies for, at personal cost. They don't. I mean, even in a city like Providence, right? What's the most like, what, 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 uh, what family is probably the strongest family in all of Providence? Where's the power lie? We're on the, we're on the west side. We're, right, we're in Federal Hill. Patriarcha Bay, the mob. Can we talk about the mob for a minute? We're in Providence. What better place to talk, talk about the mob? Even, even, even like mob ties, like when push comes to shove, right? The number one rule of the mob is you don't rat somebody out. Have you ever listened to that Crime Town podcast? Anybody just talks about the mob in Rhode Island? Yeah, it's like every single guy violates that rule. They're all in Florida in witness protection. <laughs> like as soon as push comes to shove and personal cost, you're like, yeah, yeah, the mob, yeah, patriarch, yeah, I would never. Oh, I could get what? A house? I could get out of here? Okay, Florida. And you're gone over and over and over and over. Now, I, I, I joke and say that, but like no one really gives their life for a myth. What transformed these fearful, cowering disciples into fearless people in the movement of Jesus two months later? We see the resurrection transforming their fear. So when we talk about how you could look around the room and see other people who have encountered the resurrected Jesus, what is it about the resurrection that has transformed them? We could talk about all sorts of things, but to talk about one for a moment, this, this thing of fear, like we sang like fear is a liar. There's no fear. There's no shame. There's no doubt. There's no anxiety that, that, that apparently Jesus can't change. And so when I see people transformed out of their fear, it bears witness to something much bigger. I was reading a little bit about fear recently, and I learned um, through both talking to friends who have gone through counseling and then and just doing a, a good amount of reading that one of the, if not the number one tool that gets thrown at people who are struggling with anxiety and struggling with fear is basically to play out whatever thing they're fearful about all the way to the end. Anyone ever do this? Like you, you take the thing, I'm scared of this, and then I play what, what could happen if that happened and then that happened and then that happened. So it's like, it, it, like all the way down to, and then like they leave me and I have no money and I'm homeless and I have to move back in with mom and dad. And, but then you keep playing it out and you're like, well, then what would happen after that? well, I guess I would try to get a job again and applications and maybe I'd find something and then maybe I'd be all right. And then and you sort of play it out into these sort of hypotheticals and, and then you back it up and you go, well, probably won't ever get to that. And then it starts to make you feel better. Anyone ever um, enjoy knowing the end of a movie before you watch it? Anyone? Any sisters and brothers out there? I, I am like this when, with like tense movies. My life is sort of like intense enough in my job that I like, I just don't need like more like, I don't need a movie that ends in disaster, frankly. I'm just not in that stage of life right now. <laughs> and so, um, anyone see that movie, was it Bird Box, right? Get the name of it. That's what it's called, right? Bird Box with Sandra Bullock. Um, yeah, I, I was like, that looks so interesting, and everybody was talking about it and the blindfold thing. I was like, what's the deal? It's on Netflix. It's right there. And so um, it's an okay movie. But I, uh, I wanted to, I really just didn't want to sit through a movie where, like, the zombies eat everybody at the end. I, just, I, I couldn't do it. And so I didn't want to sit through all the, like, the cliffhangers and all the tense moments. So I just, because it's on Netflix, I just was, <laughs> watch the last 10 minutes. Oh, where it, Sorry, I'm going to spoil it. it. It works out for the most part. So now I'm like, okay, cool. I can just kick back and watch something. I can endure all these other things because I know how it's going to end. This is in some way the story of the resurrection. It's like when I know how it's going to end, this is why the, the, the New Testament writers talk about, like, hey, Christians, you don't need to fear death. God, the final thing he's going to do living forever, him putting the whole world back together, raising everyone from the dead and living in heaven. I know that sounds impossible. And remember, heaven is here, a restored heaven and earth. Jesus, God sends Jesus back into our time in this current moment, and he, he, he shows us what's going to happen. The future comes racing back into the present, and it gives what the Bible describes a living hope, a grounded 
hope. When we know the end of the story, we can begin to endure and access the power of the cross and begin to walk through whatever might happen. It's interesting because the concept lines up with modern psychology, apparently. But in modern psychology, it's all hypotheticals. Well, maybe it'll turn out. Maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it won't be as bad as you're thinking. So I'm just saying, I'm not expecting everyone to believe this, but if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus. We know the end of the story. So there is nothing that you can't walk through. I know that's hard to believe sometimes, especially when you're in it, but there is nothing, say the word nothing with me, that you can't walk through. Even death, which is the worst thing that can happen. Been defeated, you're going to be all right. Live, with ever, live forever with God. A renewed heaven and a new earth, salsa and avocados everywhere. This, this was happening to these disciples. What causes a bunch of people to step into martyrdom, to go from timidity to martyrdom? What? Oh, there's a bigger story here. Now I understand. This is what's happening when people are confronted with the resurrection. I say this comment literally every Easter, and I, I, I can't stop. I just, I always want to give a vision of what would happen if there were a bunch of people running around Providence with love in their heart and no fear in death. No anxiety over work or school or like, that's not where their worth is found. They know that the end game doesn't, isn't about here. See, when you're really heavenly minded, you're way more earthly good. When your eyes are set on where this thing is going, oh my gosh, a bunch of people who are fearless, who are like, I will lay down my life for anybody. Anybody. I'm ready to love my enemies. I'm ready to join God and whatever that looks like, whether that's stay-at-home parent, whether that's launching off in the mission field, whether that's putting yourself in harm's way or digging wells or joining like a hospital, whatever it is, I'm going to do the thing that God's called me to. I can do it fearlessly. I can love fearlessly because I know the end of the story and I know that's what it's all about. It's what every good movie is trying to get our attention of. Like just rattle us out of, of the, the rat race and say, actually, there's something more. And starting right now, just to be clear today, if you're not hearing a Christian, you can begin that journey now. Like you, you, you can begin a whole new courageous life because of what he has done. We'll get to that in a moment. We see the resurrection transforming people's fear. Fear being transformed. When you come up against somebody, when you bump into somebody even in this room who has encountered the resurrected Jesus, you realize it's not just that the resurrection happened, it's that the resurrection keeps happening. The resurrected king is resurrecting me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is somehow still at work in the world. My favorite proof of the resurrection is just going, let me tell you their story. Let me tell you their story. I don't know how to make sense of their story. I go from like historical to like my buddy I'm visiting in prison. Like I like, like the whole swap. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you that. Oh, let me tell you this story. Imagining, imagining like what would that look like if that happened to me? To come face to face with that. Something happened to the disciples when they understood death was not to be feared. Something happened to Paul who wrote the whole, most, a good chunk of the New Testament. He's delivered out of his hatred. He is literally a terrorist killing, other, killing Christians. Be like the head of ISIS all of a sudden coming to Jesus and then like beginning to go around the world and preach. Something happened to Augustine, who's delivered out of his addiction. Something happened to C.S. Lewis, the Oxford atheist. Uh, something happened to his doubt. He was delivered from his doubt. Mother Teresa, delivered from her fear. Even Tyler Perry, delivered out of bad movies. It gets even better. Justin Bieber apparently is like making a worship album. God still changes lives. <laughs> I've seen that video of like Justin Bieber singing... Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending. That's how Bieber sounds to me, but. 
something is happening. Something happened to my brother. My brother, this is so depressing to say you hate me if I said this. So Stephen, if you're listening. My, 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 it was like there was something about Stephen. He's just, I feel like really early on we're like, if anyone's going to sell drugs in the Mook family, it's going to be Stephen. <laughs> and he would tell you his story. You can go listen to, to his story, and I'll tell you why you can listen to it in a minute. Like, I watched my brother who, uh, I was in a band. We had two, two records that we put out. And on um, both records, there's two songs. They're the most emo songs on both albums. One is really sad emo. One's really angry emo. And they're both about Stephen because he was destroying my family. I felt like he was wrecking everything. I had my own issues. But I just, I, I just couldn't deal with all the ways. We had this, like, this like kind of classic, really wonderful, put together, perfect little family. He's wrecking it all. Stephen comes home from, from a, a camp experience. It wasn't anything the preacher said. It wasn't any music. He just came running out of the chapel, like shaken. A couple friends ran out. Actually, some of you may even be in this room right now. Ran out, and they were just so confused at what's happening, and he was just like, just kind of arrested in some way, and they prayed for him. Stephen came home, and I, and I felt like I had my brother back. Something happened. Something transforms people when they come face to face. Stephen came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, my brother Stephen is literally preaching right now in South County. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a transformation. <laughs> it's these personal experiences of meeting Jesus that stir me the most. And I'm guessing one of the people maybe who even brought you have had an experience like this. Billions of people today, just to be clear, have claimed to have an experience with Jesus. And for the most part, they seem relatively normal. He's met so many of us, and for the longest time, I think, the longest time when I was trying to, like, convince someone of something, and not just, I'm not just talking to folks who aren't followers of Jesus here. Like, folks here who are Christians, who are just in a state of despondency and apathy and are just sort of checked out. There's nothing moving their lives. If I looked in your, your Instagram profile, there's nothing about Jesus and the kingdom and, like, what's going on in you, like, this being central to who you are. Not that that's a litmus test. But I, 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 I would always just say, well, let me convince you, and let me try to convince you. Let me try to make this work out. I've realized that all I've ever needed to do is just keep bearing witness to what God's done in my heart and what he's done in others. And over and over, that seems to be the thing that it just, maybe for you even now, there's something happening in your heart that doesn't make a whole lot of sense maybe in your head, but like just a little openness. Well, maybe. Because at the very least, you, you can't just let this go fallow. You, you can't just not at least investigate it. Many have called that foolishness. This is why our little marketing campaign this year for Easter was Easter for the people. And we had all these photos of people who are sitting in this room. Here's Tony. Tony's a designer, and he's a follower of Jesus. It was like we were outing people in our community. Hey, this person's a Christian, and we're just going to throw up posters all over the city. Hey, this person that you work with, that you love, that you play with, that you do this with, these people are, are going to come celebrate Easter. It's because sometimes we just need each other's stories to remember that God is still raising people from the dead, and God is still pulling people up out of graves. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. And let me tell you, I, I want to tell you a story right now uh, of someone um, who had this experience in our church. For as long as I can remember, all I ever wanted was success. I wanted money. I wanted a dream job. I wanted to travel and see the world. I knew that if I could just have those things, then I'd be happy. But when I finally got the job, got the money, saw the world, it wasn't anything like I expected it would be. Before I knew it, work was the only thing that mattered. Everything I did, 
I did to impress other people. I lost touch with my friends, with myself, with reality. Until finally, I was completely alone. And the happiness that I was so sure would come with my success, it never showed up. I don't remember the specific moment when I noticed God was working in my life. It was gradual. First he led me back to school. Then I somehow stumbled into a campus ministry group. Not long after that, I was going to a Bible study at someone's house every week. In just a few months, God built this incredible community around me and was revealing his love for me through all these people. Complete strangers became brothers and sisters overnight. And it was in each of these places that I began to find my purpose. One of my favorite verses is Luke 15, 24. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I wandered for a long time, but God showed me that he was the truth that I was searching for. This was the life I was trying to find all along. Six months ago, that me? We good? Six months ago, uh, David uh, became a follower of Jesus. It's still happening. Resurrection happened, but it, it's it's actually it's actually still happening. It's still it's still it's still happening. It's at least worth a little bit of openness. I want to reiterate this one more time. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, yeah, I'm in with all of this. Like, it's worth going deeper. It's worth asking more questions about what's available to us. About what happens when we continue to grow and lean in to the God who wants to show up. Christians believe because the secular explanations, they believe in the resurrection because the secular explanations don't quite seem adequate for the evidence particularly when you put it all together, the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus to the least likely people, the impact of Jesus in history at least increases the percentage of Jesus maybe being alive somewhere in the world. And I dare say, if you're not careful, if you keep coming to things like this, even if it's just once a year or coming to Sunday service once a month or reading things, you may find something hovering around your life too. You may find yourself up in a video. <laughs> you may find yourself with a chiseled jawline like that. No, that won't happen. We can't. God can't do that. Look at these people around you. How has God moved? These people around you who are bearing witness by their very presence to Jesus being alive and well in the world. When Jesus rises from the dead, we learn a bunch of things about what this life looks like. There's a radical welcome to the least likely people. The least likely people get welcomed, are a part of this story. It's the most outcast of outcasts who finds Jesus, the first person Jesus talks to when he rises from the dead. Yancey says, Jesus was the first world leader to inaugurate a kingdom with a heroic role for losers. He spoke to an audience raised on stories of wealthy patriarchs, strong kings, and victorious heroes. Much to their surprise, he honored instead people who have little value in the visible world, the poor and the meek persecuted and those who mourn, social rejects, the hungry and thirsty. His stories consistently feature the wrong people as heroes. Church by nature, a gathering of people 
around the resurrection by nature is a gathering of outcasts. It's a kingdom of grace. If there's anything standing in between you and Jesus, it's likely not how bad you are, it's how good you are or how good you think you are. It's called pride. That usually is the thing that's standing broken and contrite spirit, a humble spirit. We get it twisted. We think I got to get better. No, no, no. You just got to name what you can't do and who you're not. Jesus, when he resurrects, when he comes to life, he restores people's future and people's purpose and calling. Is his like the disciple who basically begins the church, who commissions with this, is full of so much doubt so much pain, and he's clearly such a leader. It says that he and then a bunch of other disciples went with him, and they went, and they went back to fishing. If you're familiar with the story, this is the disciple that Jesus came and pulled out of fishing and said, no, 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 you're going to come be my sheep. You, you are going to come and, and do something far more I have for you with your life. And he returns back. He moves away from his calling. Can I be really just... I know for a fact there are people in this room right now who God gave you a calling and you walked away. Yes, I'm talking to you. And maybe I'm talking to more than that. He put a call in your heart and woke you up to a reality and out of whatever fear and ache and pain and distrust or how the world's beaten in on you, you have just gone back to something that you are called out of. You won't be happy or fulfilled or full of life. And what we see happen with the resurrection, what the resurrected Jesus does, we see with Peter, he goes back and he finds him and he eats fish and he says, all right, Peter, enough with the fish. I told you, sheep, not fish. Say it, say it, sheep, not fish. I'm calling you in to something more. He gives a future back. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, restores hope to people. He restores hope. People talk about the progress of humanity often. And yet it has been pointed out by many a writer and many a scholar and many a historian is that we are more miserable than ever. We have technology at our fingertips on our phones that is unmatched. Look at how we have evolved. And what do we do with it? We make animated poop emojis. Like we are sad. <laughs> David Foster Wallace says about what it's like to live in America right now. There's something particularly sad about it all. Something that doesn't have very much to do with physical circumstances or the economy or any of the stuff that gets talked about in the news. It's much more like a stomach-level sadness. I see it in myself and my friends in different ways. It manifests itself as a kind of lostness, uh, an American type of sadness. He says, I was white, upper-middle-class, obscenely well-educated, have way more career success than I could have legitimately hoped for, and I was sort of adrift. A lot of my friends were the same way. Some of them were going, getting into drugs. Others, unbelievable workaholics. Some are going to single bars every night. You could see it play out in 20 different ways, but it's the same thing. You see this in our city, a stomach-level sadness. And what we see the resurrected Jesus doing is finding the very people who have just given up and who are walking back, like on the road to Emmaus, there's this story, and Jesus kind of creeps up alongside them. He's incognito, and he's telling them the story, and as he's giving them, like, narrative context for everything that's happened, there's this great line that says, did our hearts not burn within us? Maybe right now there's some people in this room where your hearts are, like, burning within you. You're like, this is all. If this is for real, this is good. I don't know if I can go all the way there, but there, maybe God, maybe, 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 maybe did our hearts not burn within us. This is what Jesus does. And I love that I'm saying this like it's hypothetically, like I don't actually believe, ready for crazy pastor moment, I don't actually believe that Jesus is showing up in people's lives right now. 
that I, I actually believe that Jesus is alive and well and moving through his spirit even in this room right now. I just ask you for the last few minutes together just to be open. This is what he does. He comes on the road and he says, let, let me restore your hope. Let me restore your hope. There are people in this room who've lost their faith and Jesus loves to restore people who've lost their faith. Thomas, doubting Thomas, famous doubting Thomas, who's just miserable through the whole scriptures. He just wants to see it for himself and I'm compassionate because he just never seems to be there when the big event happens. And so he's hearing that Jesus rose from the dead and he hasn't seen it yet. Did you hear about the fish thing? He came back and he just ate fish. You didn't hear about it? He said, like, I heard about it. I just wasn't there. I can't. So he finally, and Jesus in his kindness and mercy comes to him and says, you can put your hands right here and feel where the nails were. Jesus shows up and he meets them. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, loves to restore people who've lost their faith. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've tried, man. I've asked, like, God, would you just do something and just, I, I, I just, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm telling you, Jesus, it just says, ask and seek and knock with an open heart. The only thing that's in the way is your goodness. Humble yourself and say, help. If that's real, God, would you show up? Help. We're in a long tradition of doubters and skeptics, and Jesus doesn't seem to be phased by your skepticism or your doubt. We're in a room full of people who know that the resurrection didn't just happen, but that it happens. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you and can resurrect your spirit. Your heart, your dream can bring you freedom, can resurrect even your body. The spirit will reconnect you with your maker. That right now, the Spirit of God can reconnect you with the ground of your being, with the logic behind everything, with that vague spirituality that you're trying so hard to chase through everything else except the thing that has actually brought billions into transformation in your life. He can do that. That's what this text says, and I believe it. And next Sunday, we're going to hear stories from 10 or so people who have had that happen to them as they're baptized. It keeps happening. Be open. That our heart's not burned within us. God might reconnect us in such a way that we could know that we could call the God of the universe dad and have that kind of relationship. Jesus says, I'm the living water and you'll never thirst again. I'm the bread of life. You'll never go hungry. This is what it is to entrust ourselves to Jesus, to say yes, to believe in our heart that he is king, that we are loved, that there's nothing I can do to earn God's favor and that I might be open. Maybe your friend invited you because they see that stomach level sadness. And they are somebody who has struggled with that too, just another beggar telling somebody else who's hurting Another beggar, where to find bread. So, church, it's another Easter. Another moment where we come together and we get to celebrate that he's alive, that we can know him, and that it changes everything. When we open the service, we sang this like celebration song, this old Johnny Cash song over this sad imagery of a funeral. There ain't no grave that can hold my body down. If you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Today, we culminate this time. We get ready for a day, I pray, full of feasting, Laughing, some joy. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe it's going to be hard. Maybe you're like headed to work and it's going to be a tough day after this. But you have stopped long enough to remember the great party and celebration that we get to be a part of, that everything has changed and that there is no grave that can hold anything that's happening in your life down. Right now, as we close, just like name the graves. 
What are the things today you need some renewed faith for that God can resurrect that? What do you need his deliverance from? Not like later maybe in a Bible study or later on the car ride home or later through some random circumstances. Like right now, do you need deliverance from out of the grave? What fear, what shame. Fear is a liar. I love that line. The fierce and a velvet tongue. Shame that wants to like, like push us down and pull us away from our calling. Maybe it's success blinded by this need to keep going. And if that were to disappear, there's like nothing left of you. What are the things that we need to say, God, would you resurrect me? Would you pull me out of the grave? Church, you can know freedom. Skeptics in the room. I'm not going to ask you to say, hey, but all the doubters and skeptics in the room, all those who here who are kind of quasi with me maybe at this point. You can know that freedom and you can know God and you can know that this isn't all that there is and you can know forgiveness from failure and you can know forgiveness from guilt and shame and you can know that there's a call on your life bigger than what's in front of you and you can have an existential experience with the God of the universe and you can be freed from what the Bible says is the very thing that leads to death, which is sin, which is why the grave couldn't hold Jesus down. When you're sinless, the grave can't hold you. The wages of sin is death. When you got no sin, you're free. And Jesus came to take all your sin on himself, saying you're clean and you're free and you're forgiven and you don't have what it takes to make it, but I do. And so step into my way and into my kingdom and allow me just to love you where you are and pull you up out of whatever you're in and walk into the great party of the future. Heaven on earth. Can I get an amen? What will you do with Jesus' claims? What will you do with his claims tonight? That he is where the life is. Only a fool, only a fool never contemplates the day of their death. I close with this. In many respects, I find, uh, this is Philip Yancey, he says, in many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus, a Jesus that didn't rise from the dead, a solid moral teacher who was around for a little while. I find that way easier to accept because Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means that he must be loose out there somewhere. He's loose in Providence, folks. <laughs> I know that just because I keep seeing people's lives turned upside down and changed and transformed. I know that because I keep seeing people's call. I know that because even my daughter and skeptic friends or my friends who used to be followers of Jesus and are now in a tough spot, I see their whole life and all these amazing, good and brilliant choices that they're making that they're all deeply influenced literally by the upbringing that they had, which was the way of Jesus. They're literally choosing those ways and there's a source to it all, but they want the kingdom with no king. We can see it everywhere. So Christian, skeptic, doubter, wherever you're at, what would it be like right now in this moment to just be actually open? Suspend for a moment, whatever is the static of God couldn't raise that. God couldn't deliver me from that thing. God couldn't rescue me out of that. God definitely will not show up right now and I will not become a Christian right now. That's not a thing. Just for a moment, wouldn't it be worth at least being open? That's what it means to truly be liberal for my liberal brothers in the room, sisters in the room, to be open. What would it be like to say, okay, okay. Jesus, we believe, some of us in this room, and some of us believe for the persons even sitting next to them. We believe that um, you're uh, on, on the move, that you're loose in the world. We believe you're bigger than any of our little trappings. You're, you're, you're bigger than all of our 
doubts, our, our, our fears, our walls, our questions, stronger than it all. And so, Lord, I, I uh, ask that your spirit would fall. Lord Jesus, I pray. You know what, Lord? I just thank you. I thank you that you are at work in the world. I thank you for the stories that I get to, to bear witness to of you changing lives from the most esteemed to the low, most lowly. I thank you, Lord, for calling me somebody who, who felt like they should be doing something far more dignified than running around a stage like an idiot talking about Jesus. Right now, in this moment, Lord, you, um, I, I, I believe, are calling some people home. Calling people home. Hey, if you're if you're in the room right now and all the eyes closed and head bowed and all of that, if you're here and, and this is this is like a moment you you want to you need to mark. Jesus is speaking to you right now. You, you have been trying to like close a little crack in your pavement and it keeps opening and like there's like there's something happening in your heart and it's not quite making sense in your head maybe maybe God has just been calling you home for a long time and this is the moment that you're just you, it's time to say yes I don't know you have enough openness right now to believe and Jesus is inviting you to say I, I, yes that you right now are like I believe I believe. I, I, I'm in. I'm in. I want to begin this journey. I want to. I want to say yes to making sense of what it means to make Jesus King of my life, to join Him, to open up my life to His call, to experience His love and forgiveness and grace fully, to experience His healing. Like I am. There, right there, I could say yes to that. I am, I am into that. I am in. No one's looking. Would you just take a minute, just for our, for our purposes, so I can like pray for you? Would you throw your hand up in the air? Say yes. Yes, I believe in my heart. Yes, I'm in. Yes, I want to begin that journey, the way of Jesus. Would you throw your hand? You are here and, and God has identified some graves for you. Every time I said shame, every time I said X, every time I said Y, every time there was like something specific mentioned, like you just like, I need deliverance from this. I, I don't think God's power is big enough to raise that from the grave. I don't know how I walk out of here with hope. I don't know how I walk out of here with joy. I don't know how I walk out of here with my anxiety at bay or even freed from it. I don't know how to walk out of here with all this fear. And right now, I just need, I need, I need pastor, I need a friend just to pray, to pray over me. Would you throw your hand in the air? That's you. Just throw it out for a second. Just, yeah, yeah, there's a grave there. It's a little grave, shallow grave, and it's a big one. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you that you're, you're powerful. Lord, thank you that you can raise even the hardest things, Lord, the most dead things from the grave. Thank you. And so I ask that you would do that right now. No magic words, no like golden dust, just Lord Jesus Christ, you've been doing this for centuries. Would you do it again? I believe, Lord, so many of us from believe that you, Lord, can pull us out of whatever it is. There is no grave that can hold whatever it is in the ground. And so raise us up with you, Lord. Raise us up with you, Lord. Raise us up with you, Lord. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Everyone said.
Amen. If you raise your hand, if you, if this, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you, this was the moment for you that you were like, I want to say yes to Jesus. There's somebody who's going to try to find you in the dark, but there's also a little prayer area over here. In a minute, we're all going to stand and everyone else is going to just think you're headed to brunch, but don't head to brunch. Just go like, and then head over here. And these prayer folks who are going to stand up right now, they have just something for you to help you maybe with the next step, something to give you. Just a a card, a a way to just kind of begin this journey towards the way of Jesus. Maybe you're just open. You're like, I'm not committing to nothing, but I'm open to the reality that Jesus may be loose in the world and it might be a bigger thing than I think. When we stand in a moment, will you just head right over there? You can also do that with the steps, the, uh, the next steps bar in the back. Would you do that now as we sing? Church, can we stand and sing the Easter story together to give thanks one last time, to raise our voices and join the party that's going on, that's celebrating the fact that God is still at work in the world, crushing death, crushing sin, crushing shame, lighting people on fire with gifts to join him in the renewal of all things. Let's sing together.